Thank you for listening to this chapel message, originally presented at Clark Summit University in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. With more than 70 on-campus and online programs, Clark Summit University prepares Christ-centered, career-ready graduates to make a difference around the world. We hope this is an encouragement to you today. I again uh, want to thank my classmates for the opportunity uh, to speak in chapel today. As um, I am not the most natural public speaker, nor do I have all the soft skills that others in the class may have, but I thank you for the opportunity uh, today to preach, and I am, I'm thankful for the Word of God and the way it has the ability to change our lives. Um, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word. Uh, we thank you for its ability to speak to us, Father, that it has the ability to change us, Father, and I pray today that we can seek your Word to understand how we are justified and how we should treat others. God, Open our hearts, open our ears, and help us see the ways that we fail to act like you. We ask this all in your name. Amen. So Luke challenged us yesterday as a campus by asking the question, how do you perceive Jesus? But today I would like to ask you, how do you perceive yourself and others? Because frankly, we all have a perception of others and a view of others, and often it's not very good. For instance, a simple analogy of this is I play baseball. I'm by no means a great baseball player, nor was it my best sport in high school. In fact, it was one of my worst. But I tend to still put myself up pretty easily. Uh, We were playing at Wells College a couple weeks ago, a very close game, and uh, this short, very skinny guy comes up to bat. Now, may have made some judgments about him just by the way he approached the plate. Small, skinny guy, he's probably just fast. That's pretty much all he's going to do. Sure enough, at that at bat, he had a little blooper that went down the right field line and just got stuck in the right field line. And I very quickly made some assumptions about him. But the reality of it is, a couple innings later, he came back up to bat. And I looked at Coach, and I was like, hey, Coach, that's the guy that hit the little flare down the right field line that, that got us in the jam. And, and Coach coach looks back at me, and he was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and we decide we're going to pull the right fielder in a little bit. Because we got two runners on and two outs, and we're going to get out of the jam. Well, uh, that wasn't exactly what happened. Uh, the guy took a, fi- uh, a high outside fastball, uh, went opposite field, put it all the way to the fence. And because of the way Wells College's field is, it's a tri-complex, so the ball will roll forever. Uh, he proceeded to get it inside the park home run. And I was quickly humbled by my assumption about that man. But the reality is... This eye test that I put on the man, I put on myself. I will do things for Christ, put my personal identity and things that I do for God, not my position before God. But the reality is we all place the eye test on ourselves, our academics, our friendships, our relationships. We tend to build ourselves up by them, by the good things we do, and deep down inside ourselves, I think sometimes we ultimately believe we're righteous because of it. We count ourselves righteous by looking at the things as we do, by the means that we're justified, that somehow me serving God faithfully is how I am saved, but not Christ himself. And the reality is, I think as a campus, we struggle with this as we view others. We tend to fall short in the way we look at others, 
and the way we look at ourselves. Sometimes we look at others and saying, by no means are they good enough, but at the same time say, yes, I'm good enough. And I challenge us today to search the text, to have a true understanding of righteous, what righteousness really is. Because I do suggest that we have a fallen sense of righteousness, a worldly sense that we often use to look at others, even on this campus. I'd invite you to turn to Luke 18. I'm going to pick up verse 9. And in the context of Luke 18, Jesus is just teaching the people how to pray persistently. But now he's going to move to our position in prayer. Let's read verse 9. He also told this parable to some who are trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with content. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other to tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you, I am not like other men, exhorters, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I, I fast twice a week. I give all the tithes of all that I get. I hope you realized the reality of this man's prayer. It's no thanks for what God has done, but it's simply a list of personal achievements. Look at the I statements in this, pa- in this prayer of the passage. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, exhorters, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He is playing the comparison game. He says, I fast twice a week. I give all the tithes I get. In a sense, he is putting his hope in his morality. He has gone above and beyond the law, He has not committed these heinous sins. And I fear that as Christians, sometimes we look at others who are struggling with specific sins that we may not struggle with. And we will instantly put ourselves above them because we do not struggle with that sin. This man, he also sees his righteousness and his religiousness. He sees the way that he holds the law and he goes above and beyond it, saying, I fast twice a week, more that is expected of me. I give all the tithes that I get, more than is expected of me, more than just the 10% of the income he gets, but anything that comes into his possession, he's saying, I give it to God. But his religiousness will fail him if there's no thanks for what God has done. This is simply a list of personal achievements. In himself, in a sense, he's giving God the glory for giving him the ability to make himself righteous. His righteousness was found in the mirror by which he placed his eye test. But we see the second character coming to the story in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is a short prayer, but a powerful one. We can see the difference in the position of these two men. It's very important to notice. This Pharisee is praying in the front of the temple by the way he stands by himself. He positions himself in a way that he can be glorified in front of the temple. But this man, this man's standing in the back, He's standing in the corner of the temple because he recognizes that he is not even worthy to be here. In 
Look at the pray, look at the prayer of mercy he gives. God be merciful to me, a sinner. This man cries out to God because he recognizes his desperate need for mercy before him. One commentator noted, he has God for mercy because mercy was the only thing he dared ask for. And I fear that we often don't have this perspective in our prayers. This is how we should have proper position before God. But the reality is, and the hope is, this man is more than just forgiven. He is justified before God and has a new standing because of God's grace. I ask you to think about what we want to accomplish here at college. The accolades, the grades, the ministry opportunities and the connections, the jobs that we want to have lined up, I challenge you to consider that they all fall short if we fail to recognize our need for mercy and our position before Christ. I challenged you to see yourself, to see yourself as right and to be right. Because to be right, you do have to see yourself right. And the reality of seeing yourself right is seeing that God provides your righteousness, that God provides righteousness for sinners who are not righteous. This is how we ought to see ourselves. To be right, we have to see right. We can see ourselves right through 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made him to be sin, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. I want to be very clear to you, CSU. We are not made righteous by our own doing, nor could we ever stand justified before God for our own works. John Piper makes this distinction when he says, we are not justified by the righteousness that Christ works for us, but we are justified by the Christ, excuse me, we are not justified by the righteousness that Christ is for us, that works in, that works in us, but we are justified by by the righteousness that Christ is for us. It's the work of Christ in our lives that we often view as our righteousness, but this righteousness falls short. It's the righteousness that Christ is for us is how we are justified. Perhaps we know this in our doctrine, in our classes, but I think that we believe it in our eyes by the way we look at others. To be right, we have to see right. We have to see that we are equal. Sinners in need of God's mercy as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is the only means by which we are justified. By no means am I telling you your actions don't matter. But your actions should be a reflection of your status before God. So I challenge you. Do not exalt yourself because you will be humbled. We see this in verse 14. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you view yourself high, more high, do you view yourself as highly, more high than others? I want to suggest to you that there are tax collectors on this very campus that you do not want to associate with. I've seen the way that we've interacted with each other, and sometimes it burdens my heart. 
If you do not think this is the case, then I ask you, why are we not unified? There are many good things we do on this campus, and I don't want to put us down. But I want to suggest that we are very easily able to separate ourselves because we do not struggle with the same sin as someone else. We live on a small campus, which news travels very fast, and it's very easy to talk about people and not talk to people. Do you build your identity in the things you do? Or is it in your heart for God? I plead with you, be more concerned about how you look in God's eyes and stand humble before him. For if one day you don't, you will be humbled. I want you to learn from this passage that your circumstances will never determine your relationship with God. That only your heart will, by faith and faith alone. These two men are in very different positions, but only one is left justified. And it's the one who many thought was the sinner. To the Jewish culture, this would be a complete flipping of the table of the Pharisee was their spiritual leader. How could God not say he was justified? Because the man put his righteousness in his own doing and failed to recognize his need for God. Father, let this not be our attitude on campus. How does this change us as a campus? How do we apply this as a whole? We are called to humble ourselves before God and not account ourselves more than others, but the reality is we are going to struggle with this. We are going to have a hard time pushing others to Jesus when we're too busy dividing ourselves because of the eye test and because of our false sense of righteousness. But the beauty of this is we can change. We can humble ourselves to a savior that is faithful to forgive and change the way we view others, change the way we interact and socialize with others. And that is when we give God the glory and confess our sins, he is so faithful to forgive. So the reality of our work, it's not to save us. But when we recognize that Christ made us justified, the work flows out of thankfulness for him. So as we leave today, let us remember we're all sinners of God's grace and mercy. So I challenge you, humble yourselves. I've asked Josiah to, to lead us in a song uh, as an opportunity to give God the glory for all he's done to give God the glory for what he's doing on campus, to give God the glory for what he's doing in our hearts. For our missions, for our different programs like Mission Scranton and the many others that you students have so faithfully served in. But I ask you to have a proper perspective. And as we leave today, let us consider how we interact with those around us that we do not count ourselves more righteous than others that we all recognize we're all on the same playing field. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the ability for it to change our lives and the example you give it, the example of it for us to live by. 
Father, help us be a unified campus, not accounting ourselves as more righteous than one another, but coming together to serve you faithfully and that our works are not an attempt to earn our salvation, but they flow out of thankfulness for who you are and speak to your goodness as a father. We ask this all in your name, amen. Thank you, Ben, for preaching that. Let's, uh, let's sing this together as we close. Would you stand with me?
Thank you for listening to this message from Clark Summit University's Chapel Series. Visit www.clarksummitu.edu to learn more about CSU. Become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate through on-campus and online degree programs. Look for us on social media, at Clark Summit U, and share your feedback. 